Hello, I'm Pastor Marshall Oaks, and I'm the lead pastor at Red Hills Church in Tallahassee, Florida. And you're about to listen to a message from our Sunday morning gathering. If you enjoy what you hear, please leave us some feedback on iTunes. And if you really like what God is doing at our church, consider supporting the ministry work at redhillschurch.com give. Thanks, and now for some Bible teaching. We are studying the Psalms of Ascent. That's the message series that we're in right now, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134. And we've talked over the last few weeks about what these Psalms are. They're travel songs for Hebrews who were going from their homeland to Jerusalem to celebrate the feasts three times a year. But they're more than that because they're travel songs, not just for God's people 2,000, 2,500 years ago, they're, they're travel songs for God's people today. We're God's people and we're traveling through life. We're on this journey of transformation, sanctification, um, towards Him being transformed. And these songs speak to us. And the reason why they speak to us is because they have kind of like the way it's, music is this amazing gift that God has given us. Um, and it, music is wrapped in, in imagery and in metaphor. And so the beauty of metaphor and imagery is that you can say a lot in a few sentences. And the beauty of the Psalms of Ascent being these travel songs is that they're a collection of themes of stuff that is common to the people of God, stuff like repentance. It speaks to things like joy, it speaks to salvation, it speaks to blessing, it, it speaks to the brokenness that we can get to when we are confronted with really who we are, and it also covers the themes of just freedom. And so these songs have a way of covering all of the stuff that is involved in God's kingdom, but it does it through this metaphorical, musical song style way. And what I mean by that is in just a few sentences, it covers what could be talked about in 10 chapters of a book. And a lot of times it is covered in 10 chapters of a book. In other, cha- in, in, in other books in the Bible, there's these themes of, of righteousness that Paul will uncover over multiple chapters. And then that same theme is just kind of, it's touched on in a really powerful way by the psalmist where he just, he speaks a simple line in a poetic way and it just has a way of summing up everything Paul says in like 10 chapters of Romans in just one sentence. And that's why these Psalms are so powerful. Because they're like, it's like the little pocket knife that you keep in your pocket, right? You don't know when you're gonna need it, but the moment you do need it is there. It's the way that you hide the word of God in your heart. It's just these little bite-sized things that, that represent such a large section of what God's kingdom is supposed to look like in these small little poetic lines. And so that's what the Psalms of Ascent are. And last week, we talked about how these Psalms covered four major ideas. They started with this theme of gratitude that moved to expectation. Expectation grew into joy and joy grew into participation. And what that was last week was God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, trying to help us understand what building a godly life looks like. 
that there are seasons to it, but there are components, there are absolutely cornerstones and boundary markers, and, and there is a firm frame that defines what a godly life looks like. And that's important, because in the world we live in today, we're told that like, a good godly life looks, a lot, looks like a lot of different things. Right? If you're nice to people, that's a godly life. If you just hold your tongue, then, then, then you're living a good godly life. The problem is that when we approach the Word of God with our preconceived ideas or definitions of what a righteous, good, godly life looks like, a lot of times when we read what an actual righteous, good, godly life is, they aren't the same thing. And if you don't let the Word of God inform your definition of what these things look like, you run the risk of being offended when you read the Word and just tossing out because it's unnecessary. Why do I need this ancient book to define for me what righteousness and goodness is when I've already defined it in my own life? So it's important for us to revisit these things, and that's what the Psalm of Ascent does. And last week, it it helped us order um, what does a godly life look like? How do we start from this place of gratitude and move towards expectation? And how does that expectation fall to the ground, almost like you know, tears that turn into seeds that sprout this joy? And that joy propels us into participating in his kingdom. And what does that participation look like? That participation looks like building a godly home. It looks like the, it looks like the Lord working through you at work. It looks like the Lord using you as a city on a hill in a dark land that says this is what righteousness looks like and you wanna know my God who changed my life, come and talk to me about it. So those were the themes that we covered last week, this idea that God is inviting his people to be transformed, but not just for the sake of being transformed, being transformed so that your life now becomes a billboard for all of the things that are true about God's kingdom. When you wanna know what real righteousness looks like, you look to the God who invented righteousness. And you look at how he's working that out through me. So that was last week. This week, there's two main things we're gonna do. Psalm 128 and 129 have two big main ideas. 128 is the sense, it's, it's a picture of what a godly life that we talked about in, the, in, in Psalm 127, what does that godly life look like as it's lived out? So last week we talked about this sense that, like, okay, God's working in our homes, he's working in our children, he's working in our job, he's, he's calling us to be an effective witness for him, and our lives should reflect the kingdom of God in everything that we do. Well, what does that life look like if we take those principles and we actually do them? What does your home look like if you say, God, I'm gonna do things your way? What does your marriage look like when you say, God, I just wanna do things your way? What is your friendships and your relationship with your children and your work life? What does it look like if you apply these principles? That's the first section, Psalm 128. And it's done through this section of kind of like a third party, almost as we're reading through it, I want you to imagine like a priest standing uh, on the steps of the Psalms of Ascent leading up to the temple and speaking these true things over the people of God. So uh, I'll be the acting priest today and I'll speak these true things over you. So this is what a life looks like if you follow God's principles. And then Psalm 129 is, it's fascinating because it addresses what happens when the world starts seeing 
your life and how God uses you. Okay? Spoiler alert. When the Lord, when you make the decision to follow God's kingdom and he starts working his purposes out through you, your life is defined by this one biblical word and it's called blessed. When you walk out, like when you do things God's way, there is this natural byproduct that happens where your life just get, it, it's just, there's no other way to describe it, it's just blessed. Now it's dangerous to start talking like that in church because that word's been hijacked by some in the faith to, to like I said just a few moments ago, to start putting our own human definition. And when I say blessed, I don't, I don't mean just like wealthy and prosperity and, and financial blessing. But I don't not mean that. You know, he doesn't like this. He's going to leave. He's going to <laughs> Here's the truth. When the Lord blesses your life, sometimes there is financial blessing that comes along with that. That is one of the markers biblically of people who follow God's ways. There is produce and abundance with the labor of your hands. That's one part of it. But that's not it, that's not all of it. And we as a, as a as human race, especially in America, we are currently suffering from this thing that I call um, the part equals the whole. I just made that up. Literally right now. <laughs> so let's see where this goes. But it's this idea that if one, if, if like a tenth of something is true, then that tenth defines the whole hundredth. Right, and, and, you, and you see this um, played out on uh, the cultural landscape. What, what, is the, what is the root problem to all of the issues in America? Well, it's race. That's the problem. Well, that's some of the problem. But some of the problem isn't all of the problem. All right, well, the problem is money. It's poor, it's poverty, it's, and it's wealth. Not the problem is capitalism. Not the problem is sexuality. The problem uh, is a specific political party. Look, there are grains of truth that some issues may actually affect the whole, but just because a tenth of something is true does not mean it is true for everyone and it is the issue that is the issue of the day. Is there racism that lives in the hearts of some people? Absolutely. Does that mean that it is present in all mankind? No, that's not what it means. Is there sexual perversion that lives in the hearts of some people? Is there a redefining of some qualities and, 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 and some issues when it comes to things like finances? Yes. Are there some inequalities with, with some issues? Absolutely, yes. Does that affect the whole? Is that how we define all of the issues? No. Is there some issues with, with climate? Is that mean that if this one-tenth of something is true, then, then everything is? No, that's not. I don't know how we got here, but for some reason, that's how we're problem solving today. And the reason why I bring this up is because we're about to address a, an issue with a biblical word that is blessed, 
and it will rub some people the wrong way because you grew up in a prosperity gospel church. And you want nothing to do with it, and you the pendulum swing to the other direction, you're like, I don't want anything to do with this. And so anything that even smells like that, you're just like, I don't want any part of it. Well, I got bad news for you. If you're going to act like that, you're going to rob yourself of some of the ways that God does absolutely bless his people. So you have to be careful about saying, because one thing is true, it's true of all things. That is false. But what is true is that God loves his people, he takes care of his people, he blesses his people, and in some ways there is financial blessing connected to that, but here's the other side of that. If that is your only definition of, of what blessing looks like, you have missed the entirety of what blessing is. You can't take a tent and say that's the whole thing. It's not. There is a blessing that comes with your relationship with your kids that has nothing to do with finances, that is an overflow of you doing things God's way. There is a way to be connected to your wife or your spouse, your husband, and, and, your, and your, your, your marriage is just, it's just flourishing, it's just good, it's blessed, and it has nothing to do with finances. You say, well, well, I'm single, so can I not enjoy the blessings of God until I get saved? See, there it is again. Just because a tenth is true doesn't mean a hundredth is the definition of it. He has this miraculous way of looking right at your life and saying, you're fulfilling what I've told you to do, you're walking in commands, I'm gonna bless you. And that looks like a thousand different things. And you can't take one of those thousands and define it for all of us. It's too large for that. Are, are, you, are you following me? Some of you are like, I don't like this. I, I don't know what to tell you, man. This is in the Word of God. And I can't just skip chapters because it's things that we as Americans don't really like or we kind of struggle with. We got we to gotta handle the whole counsel of God. If he hands it to us and he, he says, my people, this is the way things are going to be, then we can't just say, well, I don't like it because this thing happened in our history and I don't want to talk about that. That's not the way that mature believers who are supposed to be billboards for a dying world handle the words of God, the revealed character of God. We don't say, well, I don't like that, so I'm just not going to spend much time reading it. That's immature. Don't be like that. So I'm saying all this because that was just a setup for 128 because 129 is what it looks like when the world starts looking at the Christian's blessed life. Guess what? They hate it. There's this thing inside their heart where they always say, well, like, how dare God bless you for doing things his way and not blessing me for doing things my way? What happens when a wicked world sees God's people being cared for and blessed? Affliction, that's what happens. So, are you ready? Okay, I warned you. Let's get to it, 128. I'm going to read 1 through 6, I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to go back and kind of break it apart. So Psalm 128. Blessed. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> Is everyone who fears the Lord. Jesus. 
Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. That word walk in Hebrew is a word that means behavior. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways, whose whose behavior is in line with his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. You, can you catch a vision for what this guy's talking about? What, this, what the, the priest is speaking over the people of God who've traveled hundreds of miles to come worship at the temple? And you guys keep on doing that. You keep walking that journey. You keep pointing your toes towards Jerusalem. You keep walking in his ways because I'm telling you, when you do this, there are things that are going to happen that you didn't even get behind. You, you're not even trying to make happen. They're just going to happen. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And then he shifts He speaks this blessing over the people. He says, the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. And may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Okay, let's go to verse one. Verse one, if we're ascending from the previous psalm, We're looking at a picture of a man or a woman who is currently building God's kingdom, whether it's personally, whether it's in their work life, whether it's in their home life. Off of 127 to 128, they are currently building God's kingdom. And he's using a little bit different language than he did before. In 127, it was building the house. It was um, uh, the watchman on the wall. It it was uh, um, the the children, the heritage of the Lord. These are these words that describe the, the home life, the work life, the personal life of the person who's following God. And in 128, he uses this language of fearing the Lord and walking in his ways. But it's all the same thing. It's all different ways of saying the same thing. You're either on team Jesus or you're not. You're either doing things God's revealed way or you're doing them your own way. Those are the only two options. And if you think you're taking God's ways and putting a cool new spin on it, that's still in the category of your ways, not God's ways. If you started with God's ways and God's things and then you made this one little adjustment so it'll be easier for you, that's in your ways, not his ways. You've now modified it. So we're looking at this man or this woman who's reordering their entire life. They're changing their thought life. They're changing their actions, which is their behavior. What does the psalmist speak over a person who lives a life like that? What does the Bible say to a person who spends their whole life reordering everything so that their life is not just a reflection of like, God, now I've added him into this thing, but now everything's off the table and now my life is him. Blessed. Blessed. 
Now, what does blessed mean? Blessed is not the way that you manipulate God. Blessed is not, all right, if this is what you're promising, so I just need to do my things, and then you'll do your things, because you're a God of your word, right? So if I'm doing my things, you better do your things. He's not this rich uncle who owes you things because you did what, no, what blessed is, is the natural outgrowth of living an obedient life. It is the byproduct. It is what naturally happens when you just do what God told you to do. There are just natural consequences. When the wind blows, the leaves shake. Not because the wind, not because the leaves knew it was time to shake, it's just because that is the natural byproduct of what happens. When you put seed in the ground, the sun does its thing, the rain does its thing, the soil does its thing, and the seed pops up and there's fruitful abundance. When we moved into my house, we planted a pear tree in the backyard. That was like 10 years ago. And I got nothing every single year. The tree's growing, it's massive. It's like 20 feet high. Nothing, never any fruit, except for this year. My son came in the other day, he's like, Dad, you're never gonna believe this. Like, I probably won't, what is it? Our pear tree has got, it's covered with pears. Guess what I did to get those pears? Nothing. Literally nothing. I put a tree in the ground 10 years ago and haven't done a single thing since. You're like, well, that's why you're not getting any pears. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm a low-maintenance guy. Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not like Lyle. I'm not out here, like, trying to manage my lawn and make it as green as possible. And, like, every little plant gets fur. It, at my house, like, it's, it's survival the fittest. I'm going to put you in the ground, and if you make it, Good, I'll eat the fruit, but I'm not, not no, you gotta, you gotta make it on your own, or you're, or you're, I've got a lemon tree that I put in the ground six years ago, it's frozen every single year. It has not grown past this tall. I'm never getting lemons unless that thing decides to just deal with the frost and get over it. My point is that I have done nothing to this. It is a natural byproduct of the fact that I put it in the ground. I put it in my backyard and I did nothing and it just started to grow. If I start doing the things that God has commanded me as a father and a husband to do, I am promised in his word that the trail behind me is just this fruitful trail of stuff that he is doing as a natural byproduct because of what I chose to obey in. Are, are you following me? This is not a manipulation tactic. It is natural byproducts of like, God, I don't want to do things your way. You know, things seem to be going pretty good now. But, but in what ways are things going good? And that's how he starts, that's what he addresses in two through four. What happened, what, what, is, this, what is this blessing, this happy life, what does this look like? Well, in, in two, it looks like blessings Happiness, however you want to describe it, in your job, in your hobbies, anywhere you put forth labor, you're seeing the fruit of that labor. Imagine living a life where if your only thing is building God's kingdom, and then you start just doing your natural daily, and it's just like, man, that just, that worked out. And everywhere you look, man, it's just, people are like, so how does... What's your secret? I don't know, it just kind of works out. It's almost like there's somebody else running everything. I have this funny conversation with people um, 
pretty on a, re- on a regular basis. Someone will come up to me uh, after a sermon on Sunday and be like, man, what you said today was exactly what I was reading this morning in my devotional. And I always say the same response, like, it's almost like somebody else is in charge, huh? I don't ever look at the worship set that the worship leaders put together, because I enjoy discovering what songs we're singing as much as you do when we walk into the service. So I, don't, I, I have very little, I, I, I keep my hands out of the planning of the Sunday morning service. Like everyone knows that I teach and that's pretty much it. But the, the people who lead worship, they're responsible for being mature and, and picking the songs. And I don't micromanage that. I don't, they, they, they know what they're doing. But it's funny, like on a regular basis after Sunday morning service, we'll sit around with the, with the worship leader and be like, man, those songs just kind of fit. Like, yeah, it's almost like somebody else is in charge. It's almost like we're all just blessed. And if we just keep doing what God told us to do, things are gonna work out just fine. It's kind of like that, isn't it? That's what this, that, this is what the psalmist is trying to get us to understand. That this idea of being blessed It comes in your work, it comes in your hobbies, it comes in your home, it comes in your marriage, it can be seen in your children, it can be seen in your grandchildren. Man, just, I gotta grow, I, Marshall, I have an amazing relationship with my kids. I love my kids more than anything. My kids are amazing. I love my kids. They're good kids. How did it get that way? It wasn't because I read some parenting book. It's not because I got a few things right. I got most things wrong. But I'm promised in the word of God that if I do what he told me to do, then that, that part, th- those relationships, they're just gonna flourish. They just are. And guess what? They are. My relationship with my wife, I love my, she is my best friend. Nobody Nobody is closer to me than my wife. I love my wife. She's amazing. But how did that, how did, how did that happen? How did I become so, such good friends with my spouse? How do we get to the place where we talk about everything and laugh about everything? Well, it's because I've got, I've got guidelines telling me what a good husband should look like and I just do what he told me to do and guess what? I'm just blessed. Look, there, there's no magic pill out there. If there is, somebody's trying to sell you something, okay? There is, there is no shortcut to this. There is no way for you to, to enjoy a fruitful, happy marriage, a relationship with your kids, other than doing what God told you to do as a father or a husband or a friend or a worker or a worshiper of him. There are no shortcuts. It's, you, just, you just walk in his ways, and it's, it just happens. You're, okay, so you're sitting back now, and you're just like, well, can I interject? Um, I don't see this. I fear the Lord, and this is not how I would describe my life. I've got a couple thoughts for you. To the person who says, I don't buy it. I'm doing this and I'm not seeing this. Number one, I am not God's defense attorney. I don't know what to tell you. You're gonna have to take it up with the big guy. All I can tell you is what he has revealed, I can see it working in my own life. 
I don't know why it's not working in your life. But I can share with you a few things that I've learned over 20 years of ministry. Have you considered that maybe you're blind? Is it possible that there are literal, actual, physical, very present representations of God blessing in your life? It's there, you just don't see it because your definition of blessing isn't his definition of blessing. You're like, well, I don't see it. Well, how can you not? I see it. Well, well, but that's, I thought it would be different. Well, buddy, we all thought it would be different. <laughs> but he defines what the guidelines look like. You do his things and he blesses you his ways. You don't do your things and he blesses you your ways. You don't do his things and he blesses you your ways. You do things his way and he blesses you his ways. So, so maybe you don't know what blessing looks like and you're already receiving it, but you're not happy. You're not content with what God says, and so you're constantly running after something else, and that's why you don't know that he's currently blessing you. You're, you're blind. Well, here's another thing to consider. Is it possible that you're not truly walking in his ways? Somebody's like, ooh. Let's go back to the illustration I started at the beginning. Just because the 10th is true doesn't mean the 100th is true. Just because a portion is true doesn't mean that all is true. Just because you walk in his ways on Sunday morning does not mean that you also walk in his ways in your home. Just because you walk in his ways here on Sunday morning and in your home doesn't mean you're walking in his ways at work. You may love your family and love your church, but curse your boss. See, this is what, this is what God is offering. He's saying, come to me and I'll give you new life. He's not saying, come to me and add me to your life. He's saying, come to me and I will give you new life. And what that means is that this new life is 100% filled and fueled by everything him. What do I mean by that? I mean that this is not trying to find a way to reorganize your schedule so that you get more of God in it. This is erasing your schedule so that your schedule is God. It's Yahweh. This is not like trying to find a couple principles in the Bible about how to like talk to your kids. No, this is about looking at your kids through the lens of the heavenly father looking at his kids and saying, this is your kid and I am now being a steward to this child. This is, this is about walking outside at night and looking up in the stars and when you see the stars, you're constantly, you're, you're reminded of God. This is about when you're making your peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you're thinking about what went into the process to actually get this and your heart springs forth with faithfulness because you know that you didn't just get this because Walmart had it in stock, it's here because at some point in the beginning of the creation of the world, God thought it would be a great idea to make peanuts. 
while you're making your coffee. You're thanking the good Lord Almighty for that good go-go juice because he thought it would be wise to pack some little beans with caffeine that now we can mix into water and drink it black like God intended. I'm talking about a life where everywhere you look, all you see is Yahweh. I'm not talking about just trying to find a way to kind of like fit this round peg into a square. No, I'm talking about just getting rid of the peg and the hole and just saying everything, everything. When I get squeezed, when the world starts compressing and squeezing on me, the only thing that comes out is scripture. When I, when I look at Christmas lights, all I'm thinking about is Jesus. Everywhere I look, I can't help but think and see and be reminded of God's faithfulness and the way he loves and cares for his people. This is what I'm talking about. Not even trying to fit some new paradigm, taking everything off the table and saying, all right, it's your way now. Everything is about you. So why aren't you seeing this in your life? Well, it might be because you're blind to it, but it might also be because you're not actually really living this out. You're living a tenth of it out, and you think the tenth is the hundred, but it isn't. So he's still blessing and still fulfilling his, his words, but the truth is that you're not doing your part. You're not walking it out, so you're not going to ever see the blessings of this. Verse five and six, the song closes with a spoken blessing from the priest. He's speaking over the people. And it's a simple blessing. Let this lifestyle continue through your whole life onto your grandkids. And this last part is really important because it speaks to different seasons of the life. It, ta- it speaks to this idea that we are walking, uh, Proverbs covers this in like chapters one through nine. There's this, there's this idea that as the people of God, we're walking on this narrow path. But there's this other path that you can get off of the narrow path and walk on, and it's called the crooked path. So what he's talking about here is the, the, the priest is speaking a blessing. He's saying, let the prosperity of Jerusalem, everything that is a mark of God's city, let it be true in your life. Let it be so present in your life that everywhere you look, you just see God's fingerprints on everything. And don't let it just be for this season right now. Don't let it be for right now in 2022 where you're going to Red Hills Church and man, things are good because you like the church and the music's good and the preacher's half kind of funny looking and he's a good preacher. You're like, man, this is a, I found a pretty good thing. But like, but, but 20 years from now, when God moves you to like Utah or the other side of the country for some, for some job or something and, and, and you're no longer in this season. Let, like, keep walking the narrow path. Don't just walk the narrow path because you're a part of a good church community and things are going well and your job is going well and the economy and things are going well. (laughs) He's saying it doesn't matter what's happening on the outside. Stay on the narrow path. And let it be that way, not just with your children, but with your grandchildren. And look to that. Expect that. Expect that you're going to hold a little grandkid that is going to love and worship Jesus because you walked in his ways. Let's go to verse 1 of 129. It says, Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, so this is the song inviting Israel, join in. Like, I'm not the only one, right? Guys, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let everyone go ahead and chime in because we all know what this is like. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. 
yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back and they made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. Let them be like the grass on the housetops which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand nor the binder of the sheaves his arms. Nor do those who pass by say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. What, what is happening in 5 through 8? We'll come back to it in a minute. But that's kind of an awkward. What he's saying is he's saying that if you're, if you're going to curse God and his people for doing things God's ways, then I'm going to speak a curse on you. And here's the curse. The curse is that everything you plant is in such shallow ground, it's like you're planting it on the corner of your house. There's not even enough soil for the roots to take root. So when it, when it, if, if it does happen to grow, there's not even enough harvest to bring in for somebody to walk by the road and say, man, aren't you blessed? Because you've literally got nothing to hold because you've been growing your grass in shallow soil. So let's get back to verse uh, one. There's something really interesting about 128 that I think informs 129. In 128 verse two, it says, you shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. That word well is the Hebrew word tov, which refers to the qualities that make something desirable. So essentially what the psalmist is saying in 128 that leads into 129 is that when you walk in God's ways, you're gonna be blessed, but it's also gonna be well with you, which means it's also, you're gonna live a life that is in some way desirable to other people. Your life is gonna be so different than the people that you live around, they're gonna be like, man, I want that. But here's the problem. They're not gonna want how you got it. They're gonna want the fruit, they're gonna want the byproducts, they're gonna want the blessing, but they're not gonna wanna put in the work. I don't wanna do things God's ways, but I do want God's stuff. Sounds like some churches. This blessed life is so desirable but it creates such a jealousy in the nations because they don't want to fear the Lord that they start hating you for it, which is the promise that Jesus gave us. They're going to hate you. But take heart because they hated me first. They're going to look at your life and they're going to see how fruitful and blessed it is. And they're going to say, I want that, but I don't want what it takes to get there. And so I'm going to turn on you. We're going to afflict you. We're going to persecute you. We're going to turn on God's people because I don't like that God would bless, your, bless you doing things his way and not bless me doing things my way. That's offensive that my creator would not bless me for doing things my own way. And so this is echo. This is what comes out in verses one through three. When the psalmist says, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, let Israel now say, the psalmist is calling out the reality of this affliction. And he says, from youth, because he's saying that I have lived my entire life this way. From the moment, not youth like age, like, like young people, youth as in when I started on this path. 
from the moment I turned to the Lord, the moment I became a Christian and started reaping the benefits of doing things God's way, the world turned on me. Because here's what happened. The moment I said, I'm not doing things the world's way, and I turned to the Lord, guess what my back is doing? I've now turned my back on the world, and they don't like that. So what do they do? They jump behind me, they pin me to the ground, and this is what we see in verse three. The psalmist describes the scene where the psalmist is now pinned to the ground, and someone has hitched up an oxen and a plow and is now running the plow up and down the back of the psalmist, just carving out massive rows in their back. Why? Why is this guy doing this to the back of the psalmist? Because the world's desire is to plant their seeds in you, not God's seeds. And they gotta get that soil deep in your heart, so they're gonna pin you to the ground, they're gonna run an oxen over your back, and they're just gonna plow deep so they can get their seeds in you. But here's what the Lord does in verse four. He says, I'm not gonna stand for this behavior, and he cuts the cords of the wicked. I recommended a book on the, the book channel for, for uh, our Slack a few weeks ago. Um, it's a book by Eugene Peterson called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's a great supplemental study to the Psalms of Ascent. So if you kind of want to fuel this study in the midst of it, it's a great book to read. And he has a quote on page 122 about this verse. And he says, the harness cords connecting the plow to the oxen have been severed and the plows of persecution aren't working anymore. The plowers haven't even noticed. They plod back and forth, unaware that their opposition is worthless. So this is the picture. And I told you at the beginning of this, God, the psalmist is giving these pictures to communicate 10 chapters worth of material. Here's the picture. The psalmist is now pinned to the ground because he has turned to the Lord and started walking in his ways. And the world is trying to carve out rows in his back to plant their seeds in it. And what the, what the Lord has done without, without the world even knowing is they cut the cord between the plow and the oxen. And the oxen are going back and forth, but the plow isn't going anywhere and nothing's, nothing. there's no seed being planted and there's no ground being tore up. The plans of the world come to completely nothing. They don't do anything. They're meaningless. This is what the psalmist is saying. And then in verse five, the psalmist switches and he ends with this curse. If, if you're gonna curse me, then I'm gonna curse you. Now this is, oh, this is, this is dangerous territory. Well, I don't know if we can be cursing the world. We gotta go reach the world. Well, absolutely. I'm, I'm with you. I'm on team evangelism. I'm on teaching. I'm on team reaching the world. But here's the, here's the thing. Sometimes, the Lord reveals the folly of the world through cursing their ways. So what the psalmist is saying in five through eight is he's, he's setting up this contrast. He's saying, I want the world to be put to shame. Whatever the crop that they try to plant in the soil, let it come to nothing. Let it be in such shallow ground that they don't even have enough to reap. And the reason why I'm doing this is because I'm, I want you to understand how how blessed, how over the top, how meaningful, how fruitful a life that serves God is and how worthless and nothing a life serving the enemy is. It should be so clear among the nations that if you turn to the Lord, there is nothing but joy and if you turn away from the Lord, there is nothing but sorrow. It should be that clear and that's why the psalmist speaks this. So what have we learned today? 
we're going to close out in this. Well, we learned that one in 128, there's this inner happiness that comes from walking in the Lord's ways. And I, I can't apologize for it. I, I can't defend it. I can't say, well, wh- well, how come it's not working in my ways? All I can say is that there is something that is true and this is it. When you point your toes in the direction of Jesus, there is an inner happiness and a blessed life that comes out in all of your relationships, in all of your work life, in all of your home. It's uh, like, there, there's no other way to explain it other just to say that it is true. And this inner joy, this happiness, this blessed life is offensive to the world that is trying to create and craft any possible plan they can to manufacture the blessings that come from simply following God. They say, I don't want to do things his way, but I do want his blessings, so let's build this structure. Let's create this cultural identity. Let's, let's, let's try this thing. Let's invent this new thing. Let, let's create social media. Do you remember, the, you remember the, the, the lie that was sold to us when social media was first uh, invented? Some of you are too young to remember it, but when, when, like when MySpace first showed up on the scene, this is what we were told, young people, that it's gonna connect us in new and meaningful ways, and the whole earth is gonna be connected. And what has it done? The complete opposite. It has separated us more than, who do you know sells things like that? Satan? (laughs) Now I'm not saying Satan's behind the internet. Uh, I'm not not saying that. But I am saying that there are things in our culture that mankind try to create to manufacture the same blessings that come from simply doing things God's way. When you do things God's way, I promise you, you're gonna have more relationships and more friendships than you know what to do with. And all of them, like the the joy that comes from those relationships will trump anything. It's better than any like, like or heart that you can get on any social media that you can sign up for, I promise. So this is, a, this is a thing that happens when you follow the Lord, but it's offensive to the world. And so what the Lord has done in the lives of his people is he has blessed them in such a way that there is no mistake among the nations who the true God is and what he does for his people. And it is an invitation. Nations, turn from your wicked ways. Forsake serving the beast. Quit worshiping the whore of Babylon and come to the mountain of our God and let us teach you his ways. Because man, they are blessed. Let's pray. Hello again, it's Pastor Marshall, and I just wanted to say thank you for listening to this message. If you want to hear other messages or maybe find out more about our church, you can visit redhillschurch.com. From there, you'll find links to our social media pages, message archive, and ways you can support the ministry work. Thanks again for spending time with us, and God bless.